Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 209. I'm John Davis, of course, and joining me here in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters today, we have the a rare appearance of executive producer and head writer Dave Scrivener. Hello. Or a rare sound, as the case may be. Writer, producer, uh, Brian right Robinson. The first time. Huh? You were right the, the first, first time. time. Yeah. Brian Robinson, writer, Hello. producer. Thanks for going, joining us today. Let's see. Road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello. And our online content coordinator and the producer of these podcasts, Greg Carlos. I'm back after a few podcast absences. Yeah, you are. And we missed you, too. I'm sure. We have a lot to get to today, including two very, very special cars uh, we're going to talk about the unveiling of the 2020 Chevrolet Corvette. And also, Dave is back from experiencing the 2020 Porsche 718 GT4 and Spider, along with a special Porsche race car experience. Who wants, where should we start? Start with the Corvette? Yeah. All right, Dude, Corvette. Don't uh, keep the people waiting. You pretty much have to have lived under a rock or not care about cars, in which case you probably aren't listening to this podcast. Not to know that the first mid-engine Corvette, production model anyway, is on its way. The unveiling was in California recently in a retired uh, blimp hangar uh, south of L.A. And I was there along with about 1,700 other people. And what we saw was, of course, the car that we've seen lots of photographs of camouflaged, but in person, untethered with, with tape and paint. It looks very, very exotic-like in a simplistic sort of way. It's very smooth, very little overhang in the front and back, sort of has a Ferrari-ish look to the front, big side scoops. All of that we pretty much had already deduced from some of the um, spy photos and when GM drove a camouflage version of it through Times Square back in April. But the details finally came out. Yes, it's going to have the 6.2-liter pushrod V8 as the standard motor. Uh, total horsepower, 495, which all of us were wondering, why in the heck didn't they push it to 500? We don't know, and they didn't have an answer. 470 pound-feet of torque. No manual transmission. That seems to be the, uh, the big bone of contention with Faithful. But an 8-speed uh, dual-clutch transmission from Tremec. Um, who is not, to my knowledge, uh, had that much experience building DCTs, although it's possible this transmission's under license. I don't know. The big kicker, all of this for sixty grand and slightly under, which pretty much put an awe through the crowd. One other little tidbit they gave us that hasn't been done before in a production Corvette is there will be both right and left-hand factory models. With that said, 0 to 60 in 3 seconds or less with the Z51 package, still calling it Stingray. Most everybody here at the table has had at least exposure to either the press releases or to the photographs. What do you all think? I just said, And there is dead silence. <laughs> Go ahead. Is the V8, it's just a straight V8 or is there any type of hybrid electrical assist or anything? At this point. All they're saying is the base engine that they will come out with early next year when it finally goes on sale will be an uprated version of the 6.2 pushrod V8 that's powered all the recent Corvettes. 
down the road, there's all sorts of rumors that they will get a version of the new Cadillac V8, that there will be some kind of electric motor assist added at least to the front. And when you look at the structure, and this car is a bit heavy, you see all of this massive front structure, which could be there just for crash, but it also looks like it could support quite a bit of hardware. I mean, the the frame on the car is huge. It's massive. It just looks like, why did you need so much metal? Because that was the rumor on why it was taking so long. Right. Is because they, they had were, problems. Yeah, but now I, I'm looking at the specs and it doesn't even have it. So no, not, not initially out of the box, Dave. Performance is right for the money with the sixty thousand dollar base price. You know, when you take a look at it, it's you have to spend at least twice and really almost three times more in order to and get a car that is comparable and mid engine especially. People like that. And it's layout beautiful. and balance and things like that. And, and the uh, they didn't give uh, any numbers about particular weight balance, but they did talk about how you know all the mass is in the middle of the car. If you're standing behind the car and looking down at the hatch, you basically see the powertrain. And they've done a nice job of making it look pretty underneath all the glass. Mm-hmm. Although I think it, there's a few things that maybe it doesn't look quite up to some of its much more expensive European rivals. Has very, very good trunk room, both in the front and in the back. You can get a, a bag of golf clubs in the back. The interior, though, I think will get the most um, raves from people that walk up and see it for the first time. It's got a beautiful, yeah, cockpit-like interior. That's not new, but it's nicely laid out. The driver actually sits pretty much in a space all their own with a bar that comes from the dash down to the console separating the driver and passenger. And on that bar are the climate controls. So there's almost no physical buttons on the instrument panel itself. There's a volume control for the radio, and there's a lot of stuff on the steering wheel, which, by the way, is flat top and bottom. And, and that had that had been shown in some of the spy photos, and it's pretty cool looking. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, you know, except for Jay Leno and maybe a few others, nobody's actually driven it. Some of there's, the other press, some rides they've even. had some rides in it, and I'm sure there will be more people getting a chance to get in it as they move forward this week. Well, I shouldn't say this weekend because you don't, I don't know when you're listening to the podcast. But the last weekend in July, it is going to be on display at uh, the Peterson Museum. They're doing a special, our Corvette retrospective and uh, a Duntoff uh, Memorial nice. Weekend. So it's a pretty spectacular-looking car. I think it'll probably be at least at the, towards the end of the year before we get a chance to get in it. But uh, as soon as we do, we'll be back here both on the air and on this podcast uh, talking about it. Okay. Anybody have any – were you underwhelmed from what you saw? I will say the pictures don't do it justice. Yeah, yeah I mean, I haven't seen it outside of the pictures, right. but I was a little – disappointed i'd say that the taillights weren't unique to a corvette they look the same as on the camaro and you know and the c7 is the same way but i think that's justified that. i i when those pictures leaked of the rear end you everybody sort of said well okay they're not round but they're not particularly different than what we've already got now it looked like it came again out of the stain styling studio yeah that's so never- i think that's legitimate that and the the wheel choices didn't really appeal to me that much either mm-hmm. But I mean, they got to keep it at a price point, and for the price point set, they did a great job. Yeah, I mean, the question is, will, will you be able to even buy a base car for quite mm-hmm. a while? Yeah, right. And the other question that was running is, uh, you know, it, this car is going to take longer to build. That means lower volume, which you know they're only they only sold about twenty three thousand or so uh, Corvettes last year. Anyway, will there be a Cadillac model 
Yeah, that's the question that's been flying around. <laughs> and they, of course, wouldn't talk about that. Bring a Buick model, Grand National. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, let's not turbo, too Put far. a Turbo 6 in there. That'd be Bring Saturn back. Even better. <laughs> oh, Dave, let's get to you before this thing gets totally out of control. You just had a uh, terrific experience. Uh, I, was, I did two trips pond. with Porsche right. recently in the last two weeks. I went to uh, Edinburgh, Scotland to drive the 718 GT4. Uh, Cayman mm-hmm. and the Spider. The Spider has the, that, the real minimalist, um, <coughs> cool-looking roof with the double hump yeah. rear deck. Um, the Cayman has a giant wing on the back. These are both track-focused models. It's always been kind of an aspirational model for Porsche, this Cayman Boxster entry-level. Mm-hmm. Performance has been up there. It's creeping up towards 911 territory. It hasn't gotten the price up there yet, so it's still well, attainable it's getting, for people who there. want the Porsche name and experience and, and technology. These two now share a chassis. Uh, they didn't before. In 16, they came out. They were kind of different. They're both track-focused. They have a 911 uh, GT3 front axle adjustable suspension settings for, like, track days. So it's a great club racer track day car for those guys. A drug on the track. We had the, of course, it rained in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> but it was very well-balanced, tossable, pivots around the axis, the center axis nicely, great steering, standard six-speed manual, which I love. And purists will like. And uh, rev matching now is a, a button you can turn on and off mm-hmm. if you want it. Great packages, both. Is it any PDK or is it just manual? This was th- PDK is not out yet, okay. I don't think. So probably down the line. Um, the next week I went to Germany and drove the Cayman GT4 Club Sport, and that was a PDK. Mm-hmm. And this, these were, this was just a race car model with a full cage, no interior, gutted, huge, massive brakes, and more performance, you know. Also, along that trip, we drove the 935, which is the car they made to commemorate their 7th anniversary, which was a 911 GT2 RS with a 700 horsepower, but the bodywork evoking the 93578, the Moby Dick famous race car 911, and the paint job that matched that. And again, 700 horsepower and a full track package and the brakes and the slick tires and that was quite the experience. We've driven a lot of fast cars, but driving on slick tires is a whole other level yeah. up for me. What's the difference? So, you, I mean, you just said you did the G, the road car GT4. Like, what's it like going from that on a track to a like a full on race car? And the club sport is not even the full race car race car. It's like a, a gentleman racer right. yeah. customer car. Weekend racer. Yeah. But, um, the, the thing you get used to is the, how massive the brakes are. You get like two G's of braking, it feels like, and sucking your eyeballs out. <laughs> and not knowing, I don't have the experience in slicks to know how much grip I have to play with and more downforce. And when the tire lets go, it lets go. Yeah, you said that. There's not a whole lot of warning, like a squeal. Forgiving. Hey, we're leaving now. Yeah. It's just, oh, you're gone. Yeah. Mm. So you have to have the experience to know how, to push, how far to push the car. But the performance was amazing. In the 935, they made 77 of them, they had two of them there. And that was the first car I drove on the track. And I, Here you go. There's no lead follow. <laughs> they gave us one lap and a oh cayenne to learn the track. I said, go. And I'm just, ah. <laughs> there was a pro driver there, Andy Pilgrim, who had raced for yeah. many, many years. And he was four or five seconds faster than me. So I felt pretty good about that, not having experienced slick tires at all. And so, I hate to pull you back down to earth, but <sighs> do you think the 718, if somebody wants, is, is new to Porsche and, they, and all they've ever heard about their entire lives is a 911, should they 
try that route, or yes. should they go? The Especially the GT4 is a naturally aspirated four six mm-hmm. cylinder, four liter six cylinder. They went to the turbo four for the Boxster came, and people kind of went, "Ah, oh, it's a turbo four. Mm-hmm. But going back for the GT4 version to the naturally aspirated four for the liter, real experience, the six is a really nice the, engine, eight thousand RPM redline. Is that the one that comes out of a nine eleven? It, yeah, it's shared it's the with same. the 911 Turbo minus mm-hmm. the turbochargers, yeah. basically. Interesting. It's the 4-liter block. And they're just superb cars. Yeah. There was a lot of debate on the trip because Corvette was just coming out. Which car is better, the Cayman or Corvette? Well, steel, or Corvette steel Cayman sales or yeah. vice versa. Oh, that, that's always the yeah. chatter. Because totally Cayman different. costs more. Totally different buyer. Yeah, totally different buyer. Well, two exhilarating cars. At least Dave got to drive the ones he was uh, oh, he did I sat ever? on the airplane for. <laughs> Let's turn now to uh, our lightning round where everybody gets a chance to spend about 30 seconds or whatever it takes to talk about a trending topic. And for this, I'm going to turn things over to Greg, who's got something that was uh, just on the wire. Breaking news. So I changed things up, kind of throw a curveball to everybody here. This came out just today. So AAA just released a study that looked into distracted driving as a result of new technology offered in new cars. They found that drivers aged 55 to 75 took their eyes off the road eight seconds longer than uh, younger drivers. So, is this one time? Like checking gauges. This, and things, this is or? to uh, to change the radio station, adjust climate. But they also found found that even doing the voice commands, which are supposed mm-hmm. to keep your mm-hmm. focus on the right. road, that still had an effect on them. Um, so, as as we know, I think uh, looking away for two seconds doubles your chance for a crash anyway uh eight af- seconds would put you in the ditch yeah after this study uh AAA is calling on manufacturers to make their technology more intuitive for all ages not just millennials um and for consumers who are buying the cars to actually take some time before you start driving to familiarize yourself so uh, my question to everybody here is who holds more of the blame here car makers or drivers and any experience that you guys have with uh with new technology well i think the onus is on the driver to learn the car we drive so many cars a year it takes me 10 minutes to learn how to turn the radio on some cars I think before i leave the parking lot Amen. i think the manufacturer and dealer have to bear responsibility too because they're not spending the time to get people accustomed to it well, and educate granted them. educate their buyers you know, if you're buying a new car, you're so pumped up. You don't want to sit there and learn anything. You just want to get it and drive. But somehow they have to say, come back next Tuesday. We're going to have a class to take you through the car or I'll, something. I like where you're going with that and maybe have like have the tech locked up, per se, until you pass the class and mm-hmm. get it unlocked. A little valley key. Something like that. Yeah. I'm the only one at the table that fits the geriatric uh, demographics you. you were sure. talking about. And i got to tell you, close. it is – it is very upsetting when you get older to realize that your senses are not as sharp as they used to be and that it's taking you longer to look at a screen or something and do something than it did, say, five years ago. I'm experiencing it. It's frightening. And if you have no experience in that or you're just trying to – you look at a screen and all of a sudden you get befuddled – and therefore, you're looking at it longer and not thinking about what the heck's coming down the road. I think it's it's a serious problem. It's interesting you say that because I was watching the video that they actually released with it. They had their researchers in the car with people, mm-hmm. and they had GoPros on the people. And they were – it was kind of you know weird because they're putting them through these tests, and they're letting them like go as far as almost running stop signs before they're like, hey, stop oh, wow. the car. But yet what you said is exactly what was happening. People are getting – 
visibly upset with these systems and they like they clearly cannot tell what's going on whereas the the added pressure of driving is making it worse that you're trying to find things while you're also looking up and then slowly that just turns into looking down i've experienced it and the thing that was most interesting to me was the voice controls that like right be, that we're supposed to say right they're supposed to help us and in in some cases it doesn't help or it just downright makes you mad and nobody wants an angry driver (laughs) because you know some of the systems work very very well and some of them don't uh and again if some of them have to learn your voice and nobody actually tells you that that's where apple carplay and android auto come in i think that just needs to be standard across the board Mm -hmm. and some automakers have been stubborn about this and they want to develop their own systems why not just let everybody use their cell phone that they're they're used to that is projected onto the screen and that way you just know and or at least yeah. you're familiar with it because you're using it all of the time and you're not having to learn something entirely different just because you're driving right unless you jump car to car like we do or right if you have more than one car in the garage you have the same interface to every car you drive i mean i think i think it's a serious problem and as people get older uh it's only going to get worse and we are in a nation where despite and all the growth of millennials let's let's be fair it's not just population it's not just older people either i mean there's plenty of people my age who are looking down all the time i would say two things one dealerships i think are making strides they all pretty much have tech people now that spend as much time as people want with them to learn their systems and that's their only job they're not salespeople at all and secondly manufacturers just need to make have priority number one ease of use not design or looks Mm. like cadillac's q or whatever that you know you ease of use was way down on the priority list above you know looks and design and stuff like that and that's just not how you should design the system i like ben's comment maybe lock some of this stuff out until you get some training in it but i don't think that's going to (laughs) happen you could have time trials yeah and then once you unlock a certain (laughs) level of time exactly use it (laughs) you could at least have it for you know like a my key where you have uh younger drivers and Mm -hmm. stuff and make them earn their uh their their ability well i think it also goes for older drivers too Okay, uh, we're going to move on now to a viewer question, and this is something that I think has come up uh, on a firsthand basis for many of us because we've had some wild weather here in Maryland in the last few weeks. Uh, we've been riddled with thunderstorms, uh, some of them severe, especially out around my way. Um, they pop up very quickly. The question is, if you're out driving and you get caught in a dangerous storm, and I don't mean just rain, but heavy rain, wind, uh, maybe the threat of a tornado in your area, uh, and we can extend this even to uh, the wintertime with blizzards. What do you do when you're driving in really bad weather? Do you turn on your blinkers and keep going like so many people seem to do? I mean, what do you do? What do you do? Brian, that's, keep on that's trucking. Yeah, keep on, keep trucking. on trucking, man. Pass yeah. all the people that half pull off the road. That's my thing. Yeah. Half you don't, pull off the If road. you don't think it's safe to drive, I get that, and I appreciate that. But find a good place to pull off. Don't just pull half off the like road. one and, wheel yeah. off. Or just drive road. slowly yeah. in the left lane with your flashes exactly. on. That left does lane. not make it safe either. Yeah. No, because then everybody's going to try and pass you on the right, right. which, mm-hmm. of course, is the worst thing you can do. Uh, uh, some of it has to do with what you do before you yeah. – get in the car i mean check your wipers yeah now wipers (laughs) you should it's good idea to have a flashlight that's battery powered or just some sort of safety package that if you do get stranded emergency blanket but as far 
As far as like lightning, stay in your car because yeah, that's the safest grounded. place you can be. It is grounded. Don't get out and run safe. for it because you're a target now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will agree with the whoever said it. I think Brian did. But, you know, find a safe place to pull off. If you're uncomfortable driving in that weather, and you know it, if, if you've got your wipers on fast and you can't see. Pull under a bridge. Get under a bridge and stop. Just pull off at the first exit if you're on the interstate and get onto the shoulder there. Don't stop on the road, which I've seen several times recently. And, um, you know, get out. Don't be a hazard for somebody else that's on the road. And the whole flash flooding thing. I mean, it's not just a joke at this point. We're like, don't drive through two inches of water because it only takes, what is it, like an inch or two to pull your car off if you don't know what the depth of the water is and you can't tell by looking at it don't do it um, winter time is something else again caught out in an unexpected snowstorm i personally think you shouldn't be driving at all but people do you know if you had any advice to give people driving in in snowy weather what would that be like if you're on the interstate, they have these little rumble strips that only, uh, let you know when you're getting off the road. So, you know, just be aware uh, of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just ride on those and then you know you're on the road. You know? Be aware also that just because you've got all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive does not They've mean you that. can stop better. Yeah. Well, yeah, and slow down before you yeah. absolutely have to slow down. Start thinking about it before you normally would. Yeah, get off the gas early. <laughs> you know, in a way, all of this has been part of our rant and raves. Has anybody got anything extra beyond just bad weather driving that uh, they want to talk about that uh, particularly bad or good behavior that they've been noticing? No. Uh, the, just following along on the Internet, we'll go back to the whole Corvette thing. And I saw just a number of comments freaking out about the Corvette, how it looks like an NSX. It looks like a Ferrari. I mean, it's a mid-engine car. They're all going to have similar proportions. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and another question that I didn't get quite to to ask: Mm -hmm. Who, what base was asking for a mid-engine Corvette? Like, that's a that's a good question. I think what my feeling from listening to them, because obviously they're not going to ask that direct question, was. Well, they did say it, actually, up on the stage. They said, um, and Mark Royce uh, did it. He said, we felt we had taken the performance of a front-engine rear-drive car as far as we could took, take it. Hmm. He said, basically, we knew that we were doing, you know, had done well. We knew that we could match up against uh, rivals that cost several times more. We didn't feel that there was much more we could do but just massage it. I think what they didn't say is that with sports car sales so drastically down across the board and the fact that they're only selling you know, half to a third of what they used to sell in vets, they needed to do something to fill up the factory or at least to give themselves some breathing room and maybe spin off another model. But they did basically say that the, the major emphasis was uh, the fact they wanted to be able to do more performance, and keep matching the world's best. They also pointed out that Duntoff himself, way back when, I guess in the 60s, uh, when they had uh, when they were competing during some of their first competitions, so that was probably the 50s, um, they were losing because the engines up front were heating up so bad they were frying the driver's feet. 
And they said, we've got to get the engine behind the driver so that they basically can do these long-distance races. Now, obviously, they've done that since then, but there is a serious problem with heat, and they want to get the heat behind them. So that's why way back even then they were talking about mid-engine and did so many you know concepts and prototypes over the years. This car was originally given the go-ahead, I believe it was 2009, but the uh, Great Recession uh, you know, intervened and the bankruptcy and everything else. The car would have been out much earlier than this if that, the you know, economic situation hadn't happened. But they basically uh, did come around and say it. We got everything we could get out of a front-engine, rear-drive uh, situation, so we wanted to do something else. Yeah, they've been saying that for, for years, though, time. and they've been up in the performance of the Corvette. So Yeah, that was the if, official my, Yeah. If the GT40 wouldn't have come out, I'm not sure that this would have ever come out. But. I think that's a. I think they, that's a very. They want to be reasonable. competitive on the world stage, and that's a big part of what the Corvette's about. Uh, you know, granted money. For customers as well, but I mean that's their race car internationally. So, um, yeah, they want to be competitive. Yeah, otherwise they would have just had something else that Americans might like, but everybody else would look down their nose at. It's going to be a fascinating car. Mm-hmm. And thank you all for a fascinating podcast. I want to thank uh, Dave Scrivener for uh, showing up and giving us his insight into what it's uh, an experience and all the rest of us have had. Brian Robinson, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos. Thanks to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood. Of course, Greg Carlos is our producer and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. To everybody out there that watches Motor Week on public television and also on the Motor Trend Network, thank you very much. Be a part of us, too, on our YouTube channel. We have lots of folks that catch the latest from us there. Our website with all our daily updates. If you've got some kind of a screen, you can probably find Motor Week visually. And otherwise, thank you for listening to this podcast. Till next time, I'm John Davis for all of us at Motor Week. Thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.